Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on August 15th, 2021 during our Sunday evening service. We have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service for the adults starting at 6.30 p.m., and for the youth group starting at 6 o'clock p.m., and Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. Prayer, Father, we thank you for the privilege of God being used by you. And Father, we cannot make ourselves holy But it's through the work of Jesus Christ, God, that when we're in Christ, you see us as holy. And God, you call us to be holy as you are holy. And so, Father, as we go to your word tonight, God, may we uh, learn from the example of Jesus Christ. And knowing we have your spirit, God, we know that we can follow the example of Jesus in our lives in this critical area. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and while you're turning to Matthew, go back with me to the Garden of Gethsemane. The night Jesus was betrayed, in the hours before he was betrayed, as he was preparing himself to go to the cross, Not just to die, but to take upon himself the sins of all mankind. He who knew no sin would become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's why he sweat drops of blood. It wasn't because he was afraid to die. It wasn't because he was afraid of anything. But he knew what he was about to do. And he knew the weight of what he was about to carry. What was he doing in the garden to prepare for that? He was praying. He was praying. Now, if prayer was that important to Jesus Christ, how important should it be to us? How important should it be to us? Adrian Rogers, the late great uh, pastor, said this, Prayer is our greatest Christian privilege and our greatest Christian failure. We know that we're supposed to pray, so why don't we pray? We've seen God answer prayer, so why don't we pray? Oh, we pray when we're in crisis, hopefully. But sometimes even then we are at a loss for words. I've shared with you before part of my testimony some time lord willing in the future as i feel led i'll walk the whole through the whole thing with you on on some maybe evening service but i was at a point in my life where i was ready to quit the ministry and uh, i was a youth pastor in kentucky at the time this is 2005 in fact i had in april 2005 already told the pastor already told the uh um uh committee the staff committee that I was going to step down 
and uh, my plan was to go back to school and just become a, a, a Bible teacher, maybe at a college or something. But I, I, just, I just couldn't handle the ministry anymore. And that, um, that night in May, uh, the night before Mother's Day, 2005, that Saturday night, I was uh, preparing what I thought would be the last message I ever preached. That was my plan, not God's. And I got that phone call that my pastor's son, who was uh, the drummer in our praise team, someone I spent a lot of time with. In fact, I was just thinking, we had plans to have, uh, I wasn't going to be able to go home for Mother's Day that weekend, and I, I had plans to go out with the pastor and his wife and son and celebrate Mother's Day with them. And I'm literally thinking, where are we going to eat tomorrow? I mean, how much time have I spent thinking, where am I going to eat tomorrow? What restaurant are we going to go to? I wonder if we'll go to Applebee's. I wonder if we'll go to Roadhouse. I and the phone rang, and my life changed that night because uh, Clark was in a, should have been, fatal accident. But God did a literal miracle. And, uh, I mean, literal miracle. He, he split his skull almost completely in two. There was this much of his skull that was attached. And that was a miracle in itself because when his brain swelled, his skull cap just went like this. And it allowed his brain to swell without uh, killing itself. And there were a number of miracles. I can't walk through all the miracles that happened that night uh, in the time that we have tonight. But miracle after miracle after miracle happened that night that got Clark to the hospital. And when I got to the hospital and the waiting room began to fill up, it became very clear that the doctors did not think he was still alive. And we were told that the next 28 hours would be critical. And I was asked to lead in prayer. And I had nothing. I was completely wordless. I had nothing. Because I was burned out. I was spent. I was ready to quit. That was my plan. And like Samson, although very different circumstances, but like Samson when he woke up and he realized that his strength was gone, here I am and I, I, I didn't have a word to pray. And so I looked at one of our deacons. I said, Jack, you're going to have to. I, I said, I can't talk. You have to pray. And so Jack led in prayer, and as I was driving home that Sunday morning, 4 a.m. in the morning, and I sensed the Holy Spirit say to me very clearly, do I have your attention now? And I said, yes, Lord, you have my attention. And we as a church came together over those next two days, and we put together a plan that we were going to break down. The I think it was... 48 hours. I don't remember exactly. I think it was 48 hours that we set aside. And, and every half hour, we had somebody sign up. I'm, I'm going to be praying this half hour so that we would have unbroken prayer for those two days. And God answered those prayers. And God did a miracle. To the point that a year later, there was a, uh, the surgeon, uh, expert surgeon, was presenting Clark's brain scans in front of this panel, 
and talking about Clark as if he were deceased. And somebody stopped him and said, he's not dead. And the surgeon said, that, that boy is dead. And the guy said, that boy is sitting right there. And the doctor was dumb. He didn't know what to say because it was a miracle. Because we prayed and because God answered. And so I learned the importance of prayer. And I, my life changed that night. And I want all of our lives to change. I don't want you to have to go through a crisis like I went through to learn the importance of prayer, to really learn, to really know it, believe it. It's one thing to say, oh, we know we're supposed to pray. But why don't we pray? Well, Jesus is going to teach us how to pray. He's modeled it for us in the garden. He's going to teach us in Matthew chapter 6. Now, there's a parallel passage in Luke chapter 11. And understand, this is not the only occasion where Jesus taught this truth. Jesus repeated things throughout the Gospels. Pastors repeat things. We do that on purpose. Sometimes we do it because we forgot we said it, but we do it on purpose because repetition, repetition, repetition. That's how we learn. And so Jesus repeated these things. And when it's repeated in the Gospels, you know God really wants us to get a hold of it. But in Luke chapter 11, one of the disciples, after they saw Jesus praying, they said, Lord, Lord teach us to pray. Man, when you're, when you're praying, Jesus, it's like the electricity is in the air. We want to know how you pray. We want to pray like you. As John also taught his disciples, Jesus teach us to pray. And in, we're going to look at Matthew because Matthew is actually an even more detailed uh, uh, description and instruction on how Jesus' disciples must pray. And so as I said this morning, we've been talking about prophecy for a long time. Lord willing, starting next month, we're going to dive back into prophecy, specifically the book of Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel maybe through the end of the year because there's 12 chapters there and some of that, I mean, there's some thick, juicy meat in that book of Daniel that we're going to be chewing on for a while. So we're not going to rush through that book. But one of the key character traits of the prophet Daniel, one of the reasons that God chose him and used him, and one of the reasons that, that Daniel is a household name is because he was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. And so we want to talk about prayer before we get into the book of Daniel. So notice in Matthew chapter 6, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus uh, preaching this message on the mountainside overlooking uh, the beautiful Sea of Galilee. And he is teaching his disciples and the masses some things about what he expects of his disciples and the high cost of being one of his disciples. And remember, we're able to do these things when we are his disciple because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and helps us even when we don't know how to pray, that He prays with us and for us. Uh, nevertheless, there are some things we do know about prayer because God has revealed them to us. And so let's look here at what we're going to call the disciples' prayer. We call this the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. Jesus didn't pray this for Himself, uh, but it's how He taught us to pray. And so let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street, behind the pulpit, 
that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of, before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, we're not going to unpack all of this prayer tonight. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to take about three weeks, uh, four if we need it, but we're going to take about three weeks to walk through this prayer. But I want to show you, uh, with the time that we have tonight, a few things concerning how Jesus' disciples must pray. And this is not optional for us. Jesus doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. And if you're a child of God and you're not praying, he's going to give you a reason to pray. He will, as part of his discipline. So we will pray. So let's make sure we pray correctly. Here's the first thing I want you to see about this manner to which we are called to pray. Number one, we have to approach correctly. We have to approach God correctly. And by that, I mean we have to fix what is broken. We don't always pray the right way. And while God is gracious with us, God is also clear with us. Here's what you are expected to do when you approach me. Remember what Ecclesiastes 5.1 says. Keep thy foot or guard your step when you come to the house of the Lord. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Many people think that because they're praying, 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 that they're getting closer to God. But if they're not praying correctly, it's not effective for you or in moving the hand of God. So approach God correctly. Notice he says in verses 5 through 8, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. So let me give you three points under this very quickly. Number one, check your mannerisms. Check your mannerisms. How often are you praying? Is prayer a part of your daily life? James says you have not because you ask not. So one of the things that, uh, that a friend of mine told me once is, you know, I'm really trying not to complain about anything to any of my friends until I first took, took it to God. And after I prayed about it, if I still feel like I need to talk to somebody about it, I'm going to do that. Now, I don't know how successful they were in that. I don't know. I can tell you that I have not been perfectly successful in that by a long shot. But I think that's a great goal to have. That's something we should strive for. If, I'm, if there's something bothering me, I should be taking it to him first and then to my wife and then to my friends and then to everybody else. How often are you praying? Number two, check your 
motives. How often are you praying, but also why are you praying? Why am I praying? And Jesus says here in these verses, don't pray like the hypocrites. How do they pray? Pretentiously. Selfishly. I have a friend who, uh, the last time I heard him pray publicly, um, I'm obviously not going to give his name. Oh, it was an eloquent prayer. Oh, it was well written. It was so loquacious. So impressive academically. Is that how you talk to your dad? I hope not. <laughs> I hope that that's not how your dad expects you. Those of you who are dad, I hope that's dads. I hope that's not how you expect your kids to come to you. Oh, great father. I bid Steve, please give me five minutes of your time. No, we, we need to pray the way we talk. <laughs> we need to be, let, don't put on airs with God. He's not impressed. Now, you can impress people that way, but don't pray pretentiously and don't pray selfishly. James says, you have not because you ask not. James also says, well, you do ask, but God doesn't give it to you because the only reason you want that is because you want to consume it on your own lusts, with your own lusts. You're praying for self-absorbed reasons. You're praying because you want more of something that God can't trust you with right now. So don't pray selfishly. Don't pray to make yourself less dependent on God. Well, God, if you would give me this, then I wouldn't need to pray so often because I, I wouldn't have any felt needs. Well, God, if, you would, if you'd give me this, then everybody would know how much better I am than they are. We don't use those words, but is that what's in our heart? Don't pray selfishly. Pray, Jesus said, here, secretly and sincerely. Now, Jesus is obviously not saying that we shouldn't pray public prayers. That's not what he's saying here. Don't, don't miss the forest for the trees. He's not saying that it's a sin to pray publicly, but what he's saying is if that's the only time you pray... If, that's where, if, if you just want to pray so you can get up in front and everybody can hear and see how spiritual you are, then you have your reward. But Jesus said, what I'm looking for is men and women who will get in the prayer closet, who will get in the war room, right, like the movie, who will, who will get in the, in the room and will be alone with God and, and people don't know you, they don't need to know you're praying. Now, it's great when... You're um, praying as a family together. It's great when your kids can see you praying, when your grandkids can see you praying. But you shouldn't be praying just so they see you. That's the point here. Check your mannerisms. Check your motives. Number three, check your methods. Check your methods. Are you praying like a pagan priest or like a Christian priest? By the way, we're all priests. If you're a child of God, if there's a time in your life when you recognize that you're a sinner, that you couldn't save yourself, you're under damnation, bound for hell, but that Jesus Christ loved you so much, that God the Father loved you so much, He sent His only begotten Son to die in your place, to pay for your sins by shedding His blood in death, and He rose again victorious, and He offers you forgiveness. Can't work for it. Just receive it by grace, through faith. And you were saved? The Bible says you are now the temple of God. You are now a priest. 
you don't have to go to some guy in a box and tell him your problems so that he take it to God. You don't have to wear a necklace and work through the beads on the necklace. You have direct access to your Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ by the Spirit, Ephesians 2.18, as we saw this morning. So, with that in mind, are you praying like a pagan or are you praying like a priest of the Most High God? You say, well, well, how do pagans pray? Well, they pray repetitively. Do you know what's tragic? I, I, I don't have time to get into this too deeply tonight, but one of the big prayer movements in the church today is something called contemplative prayer which is where you take a word or you take a phrase and you just say it over and 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 over again. And then you enter a state of consciousness. It's basically a form of self-hypnotization. Is that the right word? You hypnotize yourself. That's what I'm trying to say. You hypnotize yourself and then you start hearing God. Well, you're hearing something. But Jesus told us specifically not to pray that way. Jesus said that's how the pagans pray. Don't pray that way. Don't just vain repetitions, repeating something over and over and over, thinking that God's going to hear you for your many words. Do you know, I'm not going to name names tonight, but do you know that some of the biggest names in, you know, uh, celebrity Christianity push contemplative prayer, breath prayers? That, listen, that's exactly how Jesus told us not to pray. Jesus said the pagans pray that way. Don't try to pray in such a way that you're going to put yourself in an altered state of consciousness. Listen, you let the Holy Spirit help you. Don't try to help Him help you. Pray clearly. Don't pray repetitively. Using vain repetitions as the heathen do. They think they'll be heard for their much speaking. Don't pray ritualistically. Don't Pray, again, loquaciously with all your many words and all of your big fancy speeches to God. Jesus says, uh, pray confidently because your Father already knows. He already knows. We're not praying to let Him know. We're praying to ask Him to intercede. We're praying to let Him know that we need Him. We're praying to say, God, I can't fix this. You already know what I need, but I want you to know, God, that I need you to provide it. That's what prayer is. So pray confidently. Pray biblically. Check your mannerisms, your motives, your methods. So approach God correctly. If you pray and pray and pray, but you're praying like a pagan, or you're praying like a hypocrite just so people can see you and hear you, then your heart is not in the right place. And God is more concerned about your heart than what he hears coming out of your lips. So pray correctly. Approach God correctly. And here's the next thing. Approach God intimately as his child. Now, if you're not his child again, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You just confess that you're a sinner, that you need Jesus Christ, that you accept the payment He's already made for you. You believe that He died for your sin. You believe He rose again. And God, you, you, 
you're calling on God to save you, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. And Paul says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, by the way, quote in the Old Testament, shall be saved. But for those of us who have prayed that prayer, we have meant that prayer. We have received Jesus Christ. We're to pray as his child. We approach God with the intimate access of a redeemed son or daughter. You have been adopted out of this world. You have been brought into the family of God. So pray like that. That doesn't mean that we pray disrespectfully. You shouldn't talk to your mama or your daddy disrespectfully. Now, I know sometimes we joke, but we, we joke with our parents. But you are to honor your father and mother. And listen, if you're to honor your father and mother of the flesh, you better believe you better honor your heavenly father. So, so praying intimately doesn't mean that I can just talk to him however I want, but it does mean I approach him the way. How do you approach your, your earthly? When you were a kid, how do you approach your earthly parent? You want that. Sometimes you want to be held, Right? Sometimes you just, sometimes you want to be comforted. Go to him for that. Pray that way to him when you need comfort, when you need encouragement, when you need strength, when you need convicting, when you need humbling. Humble yourself before the Lord. He will lift you up, James promises us. So approach the throne with the intimate access because the Father already sees, he already knows what you need before you ask. And here I want to remind you, Regardless of what your family situation is, regardless of what your background, I know we have many different backgrounds here. Please understand that God is the perfect father. So everything our earthly fathers, wherever they fail, how, however often they failed or however much they failed, know that God does not fail. His love is perfect. His love is endless. And he loves you more than you love your own child. He is the perfect, loving Father. He's ever-present. He wants what's best for you. He's always loving. He's never enabling. And sometimes God says yes when we pray. And sometimes God says yo. Says yo? (laughs) I've never heard that, okay? (laughs) Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. And sometimes God says not yet. Just not yet. You're not ready for it yet. Or there's something else that's not in place yet. Or somebody else isn't ready for it yet. Or I know what's best. Pray as an intimate, loved child of God. He's ever-present, ever-providing, always loving. Now, I want to cover this next point for sure. You're going to have to give me a few minutes here. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Yes, we approach God intimately, but we must approach him worshipfully with reverence for his name. Hallowed be thy name. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean as much to us, I, I don't believe, for most of us, unless we've been taught this, because we, we're in a very different culture than Jesus was. But in Jesus' culture and in Jesus' context, there is a lot packed into that word name. 
Do you know that the Hebrew people to this very day, those who believe in, in God, now even if they don't believe in, in Jesus as their Messiah, they, as, as Paul says, they, they worship God but, and there's, they have a zeal for Him but not according to knowledge. So they're not saved just by worshiping the Father because Jesus said you've got to come to the Father through Me. But those who believe in the one true God, even if they don't know Him personally because they don't believe in their Messiah, they will not speak the name of God. They hold the name of God in such reverence. They will call Him Hashem. They will call Him the name, but they will not say His name. And so if you hear a Jewish person saying Hashem, they are speaking of God, but they are not pronouncing the name because they are so afraid that they will violate that commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in, in vain. So they just don't even say it. There is a lot packed into this word name, and there is even more packed in for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ because John 17, 6 says this. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is getting ready to die on the cross. And here's what Jesus prays to the Father. Verse 6 of John 17. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. I have manifested thy name. Do you know that Jesus commanded us when we baptize, and, and Pastor Nick's going to do the baptism next week. He commanded us to baptize in the name, not names. We don't dunk three times here, okay? Now, if you've been dunked three times, I'm not going to ask that you be rebaptized, okay? We're not going to be legalistic. Some churches do that. We baptize once because there's one name. One name for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, one name. You see, the name represents the Trinity. And it's Jesus that manifested the teaching of the Trinity to us. He didn't use, of course, the word. He, the, the biblical word would be Godhead. Right, so don't you don't have to get hung up on the word Trinity because uh, that was created by Tert that that word was thought up by Tertullian to describe the Godhead, but it is Jesus who manifested to us that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now they had an understanding of the plurality of God in the Old Testament. I, I don't have time to develop that tonight, but you can see that throughout the Old Testament there are hints that there is a plurality of the one God. There is, in Proverbs, for example, the Father and the Son are presented. And there are other places where the Spirit of God is presented. But the name of God represents the Trinity here. And we could look at verse after verse to show the number two point, that the name of God is given the attributes of the divine person. Throughout the Old Testament, the name of God is treated as the person of God. It's treated as a person. Now again, that is in no way to say that, that there's a fourth person of the Trinity being the name of God. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying, and, and this is hard for us to wrap our, our, um, our brains around in our culture, because when we name somebody, generally speaking, most of the time, we don't name them, we don't name our kids based on what the name means. Or because we are, we are trying to choose a destiny for them. 
No, most of the time we name them because we like the sound of the name or because it's a family name. Now, we named Elijah, Elijah in part because of the prophet Elijah, but also in part because the name Elijah means my God is Jehovah. My God, my strong one is Yahweh. And that's our God is Yahweh, mom and dad, and we want that on his life. We want him to grow up and to know the gospel and to believe in Jesus and to love and follow Jesus all the days of his life. And so that's why we named him Elijah. But most of the time, and, and by the way, that doesn't mean that he's going to just because he's named Elijah. He's going to have to make that decision as he gets older himself. Dad can't make it for him. Mom can't make it for him. But when the name of God is used by God himself, it is given the very attributes of God. I could, again, I could um, multiply references for you tonight. Let me just give you a couple. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and find shelter. Psalm 103, verse 1, Blessing the Lord is the same as blessing His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. The name of God represents the person of God. And notice this, number three. The name of God is linked with the presence of God. The name of God is linked with the presence of God. Isaiah 64. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens... And thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we look not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. He's speaking about the second coming here. This isn't a verse about the rapture. This is a verse about the second coming. When Jesus' feet hit the Mount of Olives, what's going to happen? That's going to split. And the presence of God is going to be here. And the name of God in the presence of God will be here. So when we talk about approaching God and saying, hallowed be thy name, we're not making a small statement here. We are recognizing that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're recognizing that when we pray, we are Ephesians 2.18, speaking to the Father because we have access through the Son and the Holy Spirit is helping us pray. That's why we don't, generally speaking, I'm not saying it's a, it's a sin to do this, but generally speaking, and you're not going to see a lot of examples in the New Testament of people praying directly to the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father. And it's the Holy Spirit who's helping us pray. We pray to the Holy Spirit, that's fine, but the Holy Spirit's going to go, hey, we're, we're going to pray to the Father. I'm taking it to the Father. You don't always know how to pray. I'm taking this to the Father. Approach worshipfully. And then lastly, well, let me give you two more if we have time, but here's the next one. Approach confidently. Approach confidently. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Now, a lot of people approach this statement as a request. I would propose to you, this is not a request. This is a statement of faith. Your kingdom is coming. Your kingdom is coming. He's not saying, pray that God will please send the kingdom. 
It's coming whether you pray for it or not. But what we're doing here when we say thy kingdom come is we are resetting our focus on his kingdom, not ours. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Jesus is going to say in a few verses, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Our focus needs to be on the fact that his kingdom prevails. And so kingdom prayers are what we're looking for here. Say, what does that mean? It means we start with submission, not petition. When I pray, yes, we pray request. Yes, we bring God a request. We're commanded to do that. But when we pray, we should start with an attitude of submission. You are in charge. You are the king, Jesus. And, and Father, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whose kingdom do you want to build? That's going to affect how you pray. Kingdom prayers start with submission, not petition. We have to check for the obvious areas of sin in our life. We have to recognize the authority of Jesus in every area of our lives. And then here's the second thing about kingdom prayers. Kingdom prayers focus on kingdom priorities. Yes, I have needs. I have physical needs. I, I have uh, health needs. I have financial needs. And yes, my friends have physical needs, health needs, uh, financial needs, family needs. But listen, I also need to be praying kingdom prayers. What does that mean? Pray for evangelism. Matthew chapter 9. Didn't Jesus tell us that to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send more laborers into the harvest? Didn't He command us to pray that way? Pray for those in ministry. Colossians chapter 4, Philemon 22. Pray for your pastors. We need it. Pray for your deacons. They need it. Pray for your Sunday school teachers. Pray for the trustees. Pray for uh, everyone who is involved. Pray for those nursery workers. Pray for those children's church workers. We need prayer. That's a kingdom prayer. That's a kingdom mindset, a kingdom mentality. How often do we see Paul praying for specific churches and for all saints? Are we praying for the saints around the world? We're told in Ephesians chapter 6, we're to offer prayers for everyone. And we're to pray for those struggling. Yes, James chapter 5, we're also to pray for our leaders. And we're to pray for freedom in our nation, whatever nation that may be. For us, that's the United States. We have a family in Canada watching. We may have someone from somewhere else in the world watching. Wherever God plants you, we're to pray that we have freedom to live and share the gospel. So approach God correctly. Approach Him intimately. Approach Him worshipfully. Approach Him confidently, looking for the kingdom. And then lastly, as we close, approach submissively. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Again, I would submit to you that's not a request. That's a statement of faith. And it's a statement of submission. We want God's will. Father, we want your will. This is the confidence that we have in him. That we, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, 1 John 5 says, we know that we have the thing we've asked for. So you want a guaranteed yes to your prayer? You want a guaranteed yes? Pray God's will. Pray what God has revealed is his will. Pray what God has revealed. Pray what God tells you he wants for you. I know I use this example a lot, but I need this example a lot. If any man lack wisdom, 
Let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally. But make sure you're asking, not double-minded, but asking in faith, believing that God's going to give you wisdom. Do you have a decision to make? Pray for wisdom. God will give it to you. He wants you to make the right choice. And so I know if I'm sincerely saying, God, thy will, give me wisdom for this decision, I'm going to be able to have that wisdom provided for me if I will trust him. Not give me wisdom as I try to figure it out on my own. Give me wisdom as I try to put this together by myself, God. If you see me try to put something together, even trying to follow the instructions, um, you'll know my, why my wife will sometimes say, let, let me see the instructions, honey. Let me see how you do that. And her dad's an architect, though, so he, uh, he gave her that putting together things gene that I don't have. Approach submissively. What was Jesus praying in the garden? Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. See, if I could leave you with something, it's this. Disciples do not pray to get their own way. Disciples do not pray to get their own way. If I'm coming to God trying to get my kingdom built, trying to get my way, trying to convince him to get on my plan, to get on my schedule, those are not prayers ultimately I want God to answer yes. Sometimes he does to teach us a lesson. Sometimes he said, oh, you, you've been praying for this so long, you, you, you want this? I, I've been trying to keep it from you. I've been trying to tell you you don't want it, but you want it? You sure? Okay, fine. We do that with our kids sometimes, don't we? You won't listen? Fine. Learn it, learn it the hard way. But if our attitude from the beginning is, listen, God, I, I need to get my heart set on what your will is, not my will is, that's a prayer God will answer. Would you go to him with me now? Father, thank you, God, for the awesome privilege and power of prayer, God, that we can see mountains moved when we pray according to your will. Father, help us, though, to listen to our Savior and to obey him and to pray the way that you've commanded us to pray. We love you. We thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close? The altar is open. If you have a need, if you need to pray where you're at, if you need to come forward and pray, if you want to talk to one of our deacons or deacons' wives, wherever you are, whatever you need, let's go to the Lord now in a prayer of song.
Father, we thank you again, God, for the awesome, awesome privilege. Behold what manner of love you have bestowed upon us that we can be called your children. And Father, help us to remember the privileges and rights we have as your as your children, your sons, your daughters. God, may we have that desire driven by the Holy Spirit to come to you, to spend time with you, to come in reverence, intimate reverence, God, confidence, but God, also with an attitude of submission. God, trusting you, trusting your wisdom, trusting your will, leaning not on our own understanding, but acknowledging you in all of the areas for which we pray. Father, we thank you for the promises of prayer that if we ask according to your will and believe, God, we will have what we've asked for. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. We invite you to come out on Wednesday nights to our prayer meeting. We have a special guest this week uh, who's going to be speaking to us, and we'll have our usual time of prayer. And so I hope that you see you on Wednesday night. God bless you. You are dismissed. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.